Good morning, Austin Oaks Church. So good to see you. Good morning to our friends over in the classic service and to our church family and friends watching online. Uh, I want to say happy early Thanksgiving, right? It's appropriate because I won't see you or be able to wish you happy Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving, so we're going to do it now. Uh, I just feel the need to just to pray right now. It's just there was a sweetness of the spirit moving, I felt in our church, in our congregation in this moment, that I just want to just pray because I know that in a room this size and for all those who are watching online as we think about the holiday seasons, we think about everything that's in there, this concept of rest is very much needed. And so I just want to spend some time praying. And I want to encourage you, you can either pray along with what I'm saying in agreement or you can just like tune me out and just spend some time praying to the Lord for yourself this morning. Father, I, I personally come to you this, this morning loving the fact that you are faithful. I needed to hear that you are the same God. You do not change. If you were faithful then, you will be faithful now because you do not change. If you touched the lepers then, you touched the lepers now. And Lord, to be honest, there are moments in my life where I feel like a leper. Unworthy to be in your presence. Because of the sin in my heart. Lord, I'm thankful that you invite us to come to you. In our weary states, in our burdened states, in our brokenness, in our confusion, in our anxiousness, in all of our confusion, in all of the things that rage inside of us, you simply invite us to come. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak to our hearts. That even though this topic may be um, a different topic than we're accustomed to or even hearing. God, I pray that you would use it to mine into the deep parts of our hearts. Father, we want to pray for those who struggle as well during the holiday seasons as they are thankful for what they have in a present, but yet there's a sense maybe of mourning or grief over things they have lost and don't have. Lord, I want to pray protection for those who are traveling in our church family and those all around, that they would be able to know your heart and your presence with them. So, Father, I pray that this morning you do what you do best. You take your living word and you pierce our heart and bring in life. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. A few quick things before we jump into the passage this morning. One, This was unplanned, but I'm just telling you right now, I'm actually getting extremely excited for our Advent Christmas series, which starts next Sunday. Isn't that crazy? Like, it's like, really? We're in that season already? But, like, there's going to be some really sweet things that our team has put together. But I believe in my heart there's going to be some beautiful truths that the Lord's going to unlock for us as we talk about and we look at the great light that has come into this darkness. I'm really excited about that. I want to encourage you, really to, I want to encourage you to invite friends and family to be part of this Advent season. You're going to hear stories of life change and what God has done. So I want to encourage you to do that. But also, I want to spend a moment now speaking specifically to the guys in this room. If you recall a few months ago, I threw it out there saying that God has done something, is stirring some things in my heart, specifically to speak into the men 
at our church. And so it's been kind of brewing as we've been looking at it. There's been some guys that have been, you know, feeling the same sense of burden. And so I'm going to invite every single male in this room, in this church, bring your friends. We're going to have a men's gathering December 1st at 7 p.m. And what's going to happen on December 1st is I'm going to share with you some of the things that God has been breaking my heart for specifically for us as it relates to the church and our present culture and the generational battle that's happening. And so I want to encourage you to come because it's going to be a preview, a vision casting of what was going to happen in 2023. Okay? So December 1st, 7 p.m., that is a Thursday. There is no good Thursday night football game going on anyways because all of our teams that we like are irrelevant this year. So uh, you have no excuse. Okay? If you have things planned, if you have things planned, change it. You should be there, okay? I want to encourage you to be there. All right. Six weeks ago, we started this series on rest, and it was, it's, for me, it's been a great series of reminding myself of the truth. Every week prepping into this message, the Lord has been just dealing with my own heart, reminding me of these truths, bringing about conviction, which is painful and yet beautiful at the same time. It's, it's like God comes in, he's like, let me dig deep into these areas of your heart, the areas that cause unrest, the areas that cause anxiety or worry or stress, the areas where you're striving for and come to me, right? Like I, I get a sense that we've all kind of felt that if we've been walking in, in God's word in this series and we've been hearing God's invitation over and over and over. Today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. Enter into my rest. And rest looks like faith and faith looks like trust. We heard the voice of Jesus saying, Come to me. If you're weary, if you're exhausted, if you're burdened, come to me right now in that state. Not when you have it all together, but come to me. Lay down the yoke of sin, oppression that's been on you, and take upon my yoke. Learn from me. I'm gentle. I'm lowly. And you'll find rest for your souls. And so we've been looking at all sorts of topics, and last week we kind of took a hard turn with going into an unexpected topic that really does deal with this issue. And we started talking about money and what money represents. And I know the tendency in the church is, oh, they're talking about money, there's going to be some bait and switch tactic, they're going to pass the offering plates five times, they're not going to let us out until this happens. Like, no, that's not the heartbeat, because when we look at Scripture, we see clearly, we see clearly that the issue isn't money. The issue is what's deeper under that. Because God doesn't need your money. God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. We saw that in Matthew 6, that where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And if your treasure is on anything on this earth, I guarantee you, you will be striving for it. And I guarantee you, you will find anxiousness, stress, exhaustion, hopelessness, everything wrapped up on there. And that's why Jesus said, the eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eye is healthy or if your eye is generous, how great is that light? But if it's not... How great is that darkness? You cannot serve God in money. You can't do it. 
And so we realize that it's not about money. It's about the heart. Because Jesus says, don't be anxious about what you will wear, what you will eat, what you will, where you live, the clothes on you. The world worries about things, but not you. Seek first the kingdom. So we had a fun conversation in the Ziski household as a result of this conversation. And it's great because none of the kids are in here. I was fearful that they would be in here because I'm totally going to talk about them, okay? And um, it, was, it was great because we were like, okay, our kids are getting allowances, they're earning money, and they're getting gifts, you know. And so like my parents, for instance, every time they have the birthday, my dad likes to give them, if you turn seven, you're going to get $7. I'm like, dad, I turned 41. Like, <laughs> apparently has a cutoff date somewhere. But we started talking to our kids about tithing and what that looks like. And it was fascinating. It was a great case study of the heart. Because all three of our kids, I won't name names, but you can probably guess who it is. Like, they all had different reactions. One of our kids, like, was totally all into it. Like, reading scripture. She went and got her Bible. It was just like, this is great because if we were doing this, we want to worship Jesus. And she was really, really excited. She immediately got her money, got her 10%, put it in a jar. She was great. And then there's another kid that we have that was just like, I will give what I make from now on, and whatever I receive from now on, I will tithe. But what I have, that's off limits because I have plans for it. And so Chris and I, being amazing parents that we are, said, why is that? We asked the question. And so we were just like, you, you should just have a conversation with, with Jesus about your money, kind of like what we talked about last week. And she's like, I will. she, whoops. It, 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 she was just like, why would I do that? He's going to say, give it away anyway. So fine, just take the 10% right now. And then we have another kid who's like, his heart is just like, <laughs> shoot, his, right? Well, we got two girls and one boy, so there you go. Like, like he, he just wanted to like, he wanted to do what was right and he wanted to make sure it was right. So he's like, I'm going to give it all. Here, take everything. You know, it's just like, well, that's not it either unless the Lord's telling you to do that. And it was just fascinating to see all of the different reactions and the responses that our kids have. Because I think, man, that really is us, isn't it? Like, there's moments where we're like, yes, Jesus, like, here you go, I love you. And then there's other moments you're like, don't, don't do, no, I have plans, stay away. And then we turn it into legalism, fine, here you go. And then there's other ones where like we are a little bit fearful and guilt-driven. And we're like, ah, uh, here, take it all. And in that conversation, God's like, Brandon, the case study is actually your own heart. I was like, come on, Lord. And I realized that, man, being a father, like I didn't realize how deep this issue runs in me. Like, I want to provide for my family. I want my kids and my wife to have things that maybe I didn't have growing up. And I want to make sure our financial future is secure. And, and so I try and I strategize and I, all these types of things that come on in. And I'm like, okay, how are even ways I can earn extra money to make sure this and this and this will happen? And all these types of things. And I realize God's like, yes, that's great. You're being wise. Okay, high five. But deeper, Brandon, why? And I was just like, man... I'm not content. I guess my hope really isn't fully in you, or I don't really trust that you would provide, so I need to do this. And then there's other parts of me that's like, no, I gotta, I gotta store it up, I gotta store it up, I gotta store it up. And the Lord was just convicting me over and over and over. That makes this conversation really hard for me this morning, because I'm like, ah, this is me, Lord. And I know right now, 
some of you are like, two talks on money? Good night, Brandon, come on. But the fact that we have so many feelings and reactions to this topic is exactly why we need to talk about it. Because I know there's so many emotions that are at play right now in this room. Guilt, some of you might be feeling guilty. I know I should give more. I know I should. Some of you are feeling shame. Because maybe you're like, I haven't given all year. Or I know I said I would and I haven't done it. Fear, do they know how much we're giving? Anger, why are you bringing this up? If you recall last week, we started by looking at Proverbs 3 where the, the Solomon says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And as we dove into that, we realized that God's path protects us. His path blesses us. And then it's as if he used to say, right down in verse 9, it's like, okay, here's the first area I want you to trust me in. Honor the Lord with your wealth in the first fruits. And it's just like, we have to wrestle with this. And, and I started going, okay, instead of like talking about the practicalities, like here's what it looks like to give and here's what it is, we'll get to that. I wanted to answer a question that oftentimes isn't really talked about at church, is why does God bother with asking us to give an offering in the first place? Why? Where did it come from? Is it just a church thing? Like, is it like scriptural? Like, is it just like in the answer of like, well, you just do, or the Bible says it, so that's why you do it, is not sufficient for our heart because money and what it represents is a very violent competitor for our loyalty. So the answer just because or the Bible says so is insufficient. So I want to do my best this morning to answer this question, why? Why does God do this? Why does God ask for this? And I'm going to come at it from a different angle than maybe you're used to, and I trust that it will bless you, because it always blesses me when I come back to the facts. So we're going to go all the way back to the very beginning where all things started, Genesis chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4. We're not going to read it all. I'm going to kind of scan it for us. But if you go back to Genesis 1 and 2, we see the creation of the world. We see God creating male and female in his image. And what we need to understand is that the creation account is not just like, did God create the world or is it Darwin and, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's like, no. I think what we need to really see here is how all of creation and how God created everything into being is ultimately a reflection and a revelation of his heart. Have you ever saw the creation account that way? Have you ever read in the beginning, God, let there be. Everything is a reflection of who he is. Everything. And what we start to understand about God, there's something beautiful about him. In fact, John says it in 1 John 4, chapter 8, that God is love. He's more than love, but one of our dominant experiences of who he is, is love. And it's two, at least two of the characteristics of love is primarily this. Love creates and love gives. That's what you can expect, at least with love. 
Love is something that just naturally creates. It's an overflow of the heart. I want to express what's deep inside of me. And that's why we have things like art and music and create all these types of things that happen. It's the art and the expression is a reflection of who you are. So love naturally creates not just art, but it creates life. In its purest form, when husband and wife get married, the reason why they want to have kids is not just to multiply. It's because they love one another and they want to create that life and bring others in and to share that love. In the beginning, God created. Why? Because that's what love does. And then we see that all of creation actually was a gift that God gave us. Genesis 1, 26 and on. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. That's a gift. That's a gift. Here's why. To be created in God's image means you have value and intrinsic worth. You don't have to earn that. You don't have to prove that. You just have it because you're created in God's image. That is amazing grace right there. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of heaven, and over all the earth and creeping things. And so God created male and female in his image, verse 28, and God blessed them. That's a gift. That's generosity. And God said, be fruitful and multiply, which in itself is also a gift. It's a deep satisfaction of the divine design that God has given given us. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant. I have given you every bird. I have given you dominion. He created all of this as a gift for us. Like, you got to understand, all of creation is an expression of God's heart. And before the fall happened, it was good. It was very good. He gave us so many gifts. He gave us relationships with community. He gave us this profound mystery of oneness in the gift of marriage. But yet, he gave us himself to have a real and vibrant relationship with our creator. That is amazing. You need to see the creation account this way. Rather than just an argument against science, this is more of a reflection of God's heart. Beauty. Imagine being in the garden before the fracture happened. When we get glimpses of the marvel and awe in humanity, and sometimes it's a sunset, sometimes it's a sunrise if you get up that early. I never do. But sometimes it's the stars at night. But sometimes it's human interaction where you just pause and you're just caught up in this. Oh. It's a reflection of God's heart. But as the story goes, as we know in chapter 3, Adam and Eve choose to rebel against God. They were deceived into thinking that God isn't as good as he makes himself out to be. So God's withholding his best from us. So obviously he's selfish and he's just using us for his own gain. We're just pawns on the chessboard type of deal. So they disobey God, and God's perfect creation is fractured. Pain and suffering and evil and relational distance between humanity and God is now the norm. But then we see God doing something that reveals more attributes of who he is. Justice, grace, and mercy. Before the fall, we didn't know God's justice. We didn't know about grace. We didn't know about mercy. 
Justice, there's consequences for sin. Pronounces curses. Sin leads to death, separation. Grace, because God came. Hey, where are you guys? Where are you guys? Where are you hiding? He didn't have to do that. He, he didn't have to. He could have just left them alone in their fig leaves. He could have rebooted and destroyed them and started the whole experiment all over. But he came to them in grace, inviting them into relationship, inviting them into restoration and reconciliation. And we see mercy out of that. He's withholding his wrath in that moment. He offered himself again. Look at these promises. He's even saying like, yes, I am coming to you now, but listen, I'm also going to foreshadow what I'm going to do or foretell what I'm going to do in the future. Genesis 3 verses 14 and 15. God speaking to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all of livestock, above all the beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Here it is. I will put enmity between you and the woman, Mary, Jesus' mother, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you just bruise his heel, just scratch him. Friends, this is the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. We see this right in the beginning. He offers himself. And then we see something peculiar. To us, we would read through this super fast. But to the Hebrew, they would have caught this immediately. Verse 20 and 21. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. Here's the verse. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. We would read that and just move on. But we can't do that because this is the first time we see the shedding of blood. This is the first picture of atonement. God killed an innocent animal to cover their sin. It's a symbolic picture of what's to come powerful. Do you see God's heart? Do you see his love creating and giving? 1 John 4, 9 through 10 says it this way. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Everybody say the word propitiation. Ten times fast. <laughs> no. It's, that's the word atonement. Reconciliation. Covering. All the way back in the garden. Why does this matter? God's love and his character are on full display. God's grace is being expressed in a symbolic way toward an unworthy couple who deserves death. This, for all tents and purposes, is God's free will offering. He didn't have to do it. 
He's not under obligation to do it. He gave freely. And in that moment in the garden, he knew his son would have to be sacrificed. This is God's free will offering. So you know what this tells me? How and what we give is a reflection of our heart. How and what we give is a reflection of our heart. How do you see God's heart? It determines in how you see what he gave. So we respond in kind. So let's think about this for a moment. If God, if God created us in his image, and if God is a loving God, God who's generous, wouldn't it be fair to say then that we have that kind of love inside of us as well? That divine longing to not just create but to give as part of our divine design. And if we go against that, it would actually put our hearts in a very precarious situation. Then wouldn't it be fair to say then that maybe God's calling us to give an offering to him is actually a means of grace to protect our hearts? Now watch this. Hang with me for a moment. Because let's remember in Matthew 6, Jesus said... Your eye is the lamp to the body. Wherever your eye is, that's going to reflect the kind of light or darkness inside of you. Watch the first story that happens post-fall. The first story we have outside of the garden. Genesis 4, 1 through 5. You with me? Totally different sermon this morning, but I need you to see this. Verse 1. Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. The vocation doesn't matter. Now notice these next five words. In the course of time. Underline that word because that's important. Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard or favor or accepted Abel and his offering, but for Cain, he was angry, or for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was angry and he, his face fell. In other words, he had a pity party. What is this doing here? <laughs> like, this phrasing, in the course of time, is a fascinating phrase because in the Hebrew it's speaking to like there's an established practice or an established rhythm of worship or liturgy that Adam and Eve have with God and have now passed on to their kids, Cain and Abel. Martin Luther recognized this and said that the custom of giving offerings and sacrifices was not a later innovation with Moses, but it actually goes all the way back to the beginning of the world. It was handed down from Adam. In fact, it actually started with God. God first. Adam and Eve, all of their offerings was a response to God's grace and God's mercy and God's love. 
Like, so this was a practice. It was an ebb and flow. And so I know without a doubt that Ma and Pa, Adam and Eve were teaching Cain and Abel, why do we give our best to God first? Why do we honor God first? Let me tell you, he gave us everything we ever needed in the garden, and we turned our back to him. He didn't have, he came and he restored us and he atoned, made an atonement for us. And his grace was so thick. That's why we give back because of his love. Cain, do you get it, Abel? Do you get it? This is why we do this. And so we worship. We're giving back our best to him. And what is our best? Our heart. Because what does God give? He gives his best. And what is God's best? Himself. Not the blessings. Himself. I mean, how else does Cain and Abel even start to understand what is favorable and not favorable in all this unless it was an established practice? Worship is our response to God's grace. Worship is our response to give freely back to him our best, not out of duty or obligation. We give him our best as an act of faith trust and devotion and friends that is where rest is found and what we're going to discover is that rest looks like contentment one way that this expression of faith looks like specifically in this rhythm of worship is offering our best our first fruits our fat portions which we don't have today Thank you. I don't want your fat from your brisket showing up here, right? Like, no. It's like they were in a different culture, different means of wealth. But this was hard to give of their firstborn. Like, if they had the prized cow, I can imagine, no, I don't want to give that. It's going to produce great offspring. Like, how do I even know if I'm going to get another cow like this? Or I, I don't want to give all of this crop to. I, there's no guarantee I'll have another harvest like this. And so, no, but that's part of the faith. It's part of trust. I'm giving to you, God, my best because I'm trusting you. So, friends, this is what I want to say. Our offering is an expression of how valuable we see God's grace Our offering is an expression of how valuable we see God's grace. Romans 12:1. Paul unloaded the gospel, chapter 1 to chapter 11. No one seeks God. We're dead in our sin. While we're enemies, Christ died for us. Paul says, 12:1, therefore, in view of God's Mercy. Therefore, in view of all that he's done, present yourself as a living sacrifice. It's the heart. First, forgiving is a natural reaction of experiencing God's grace. Both of these boys, Cain and Abel, both gave an offering. One was pleasing and one wasn't pleasing. And what's the difference? I want you to see if you catch it. In the course of time, verse 3, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. 
And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Cain presented just some of the land's produce. Abel presented the first and the best. For all we know, Cain could have given a lot of produce, a lot of corn. He could have easily. But he didn't give the best because he kept the best for himself. And he gave God what he had left over. So what's the difference? If giving reflects the heart... And if giving reveals the treasure in our heart, then what they gave or what we give communicates and expresses what we think and feel towards God. It's a mouthful. I'm going to read it again. If giving reflects the heart, and if giving reveals the treasure that's in our heart, then what they gave communicated or expressed what they thought and felt towards God. God doesn't need corn. He doesn't need the Benjis. That was me trying to be cool. Failed. He doesn't need, he doesn't need any of that. He doesn't. In fact, I'm just going to tell you this now. You might be like, Brandon's just doing this because the church wants me. No, no. I, I have enough faith that God will give the church what we need when we need it, how he wants to give it to us. This, this is here. Hebrews 11.4 makes it very clear what was the difference. It was by faith, Abel's sacrifice, right? By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. First fruit giving, fat portion giving, giving to God the best is always an act of faith. And we've been saying all along that to enter into God's rest you have to trust. So what if being called to a generous life is God's grace to us? Because God knows that now we live in a sinful world where our heart is prone to wander. And he knows that our heart does not have the capacity to serve two lords. Watch what happens next in this story. Verse 6. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Notice what God didn't do. He didn't shame him. He didn't condemn him. He didn't banish him. He warned him. He loves Cain. Cain. If you, you, if, you, if you didn't choose the path that I laid out for you, it's a good path. It's a path that protects and blesses. Like, if you choose to not do that, like, Cain, like, I told you what would happen. Like, if you change your way, if you repent and change your way, like, it will be good. But here's why. Because sin is crouching at the door. You ever have someone scare you? That's what sin's doing. Bah! Got you. Yes. Like, that's the picture. It's crouching at the door. It's waiting to get you. You must master it. Why does God care about giving? Because he cares about your heart. 
because he knows that the best thing for you is himself. Cain is overcome by sin. His treasure was threatened, and he goes, he kills his brother. And this story is not isolated because the story of Israel, in fact, let's be honest, the story of all of humanity has always been a story of chasing money, prosperity, and wealth because it's always a fierce competitor for our hearts. And whenever you see in the Old Testament the Israelites worshiping Baal or the Asherah poles and the Asherah gods, it's always a representation of fertility and prosperity. And when they were going into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, God said, you can inherit things that you didn't have to build. Don't forget me. I even gave you the ability to gain wealth. Don't forget me. Don't forget me. Don't forget me. What did they do? They became like the world. They abandoned God for the gods of Baal and Asherah, which are the gods of fertility and prosperity. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, sin had its hindrance to their faith, and next thing you know, all sorts of bad things happened. God didn't have their heart. Jesus said, you cannot serve God in money, not in a means of condemnation, but I have a means of warning you and being gracious and loving to you. So why does it matter? Why does this connect it to rest? Well, let's go to 1 Timothy 6. And I'm going to fly through this because then I want to give us biblical guidelines for how to live a generous life. I'm just going to read this and give side-off commentary. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6 through 8. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness, pursuing a life following Jesus. Learning from him, meeting, knowing, following, under his yoke, obeying him, plus godliness with contentment. I'm, I like formulas. Godliness plus contentment equals great gain. This word gain isn't blessing. This gain is actually a monetary term. It's the greatest gain you can ever have. And he goes on reflecting the words of Jesus. We brought nothing to this world. We can't take anything in this world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Contentment is rest. Contentment is rest. And you can never be content unless Jesus has your heart. I think of the words of Corey Ten Boom. You may never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. You may never know that Jesus is all you need until you know, or until Jesus is all you have. You want to know the most misused and misinterpreted verses in the New Testament? Philippians 4.13. Anybody memorize that one? Anyway, come on, give it to me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Anybody know the context? Look at verse 11. Look at verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In other words, he's saying God does it. He gives me moments of plenty and moments of nothing. And in every circumstance, I have learned the secret. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Verse 13. I can do all things through Christ. 
This is not to get your max on your squat. As a baseball player, I have guys in the locker room who be like, oh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You're just like, sure. <laughs> it, it works. But it's contentment. Because now watch what Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, verse 9. And think about what God said to Cain. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. Sin is crouching. Don't give your heart to two masters. This isn't saying money is evil. Money's neutral. Money's neutral. It's the word desire. If it's your aspiration, if it's what you're sacrificing for, if it's what has your attention, your affection, your devotion, if you desire, right, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare or a bear trap into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money. Not money, money's neutral. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through the craving. Friends, I'm an ex-smoker. And when before I knew Jesus, nicotine was the hardest thing to snap because of the cravings. You can never have enough. That's what money does to you. Remember how I said last week, money doesn't love you because money's always trying to leave you. And when you get this, you think, if I only had this much, it would be enough. If I had this much, it would be enough. If I had this much, it would be enough. Bull. It's never enough. It's always a craving. That's what happens. You fixate. You get preoccupied. You get worried and anxious. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. And pierce themselves. But as for you, man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness. God in his faith, love, staff, his gentleness. This is the path. Walk in this path. It's a good path. Take my yoke upon you. He loves us. Verse 17. As for the rich in this present age. Friends, settle it. We're all rich. Comparison to the world. Charge them to not be arrogant, haughty, or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. But set your hope on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. Woo! Look at this verse. This is so good. Why? Why? So the church budget could go up? No, look at this. So that they may take hold of that which is truly life. This is why God says, be generous. It's a guide, it's a protection for your heart and you will experience life. You will know rest, you will know contentment. So, I'm going to conclude with this. What does giving look like? Because I know at this point, this is where you have the conversation like our kids had. Well, I don't want to give this. I don't want to do this. Fine, here, take it all. What is it? How do we do this? And I don't want to encourage you because I'm not going to be able to unpack it all. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. Study 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. But for now, let me just walk this through briefly. 2 Corinthians 
9, verse 6 through 9, Paul saying about giving, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Not prosperity gospel. It's about reaping grace and generosity. Here's what we see. Each one must give as he decided in his heart. So here's the thing. If you are a believer, a follower of Jesus, this is you. Each one. And so it's personal. And it's for every believer. It's personal. It's for every believer. Okay? Each one must give as he decided in his heart. Remember last week when I said, have a conversation with Jesus about your money. This is it. So it's thoughtful. It's thoughtful because it's worship. It's thoughtful. And I like to break it down this way. When I say it's thoughtful, it's planned, it's percentage, and it's progressive. It's planned, it's progressive, Percentage and it's progressive. Reason why I say that, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 2. You see this model on the first day of every week. Set aside an offering. Set it aside. It's planned. I'm going to give God my first fruits. Friends, I'm telling you, if you don't plan giving God your best, there's going to be something in your life that you want more. And here's the reality. $100 in the church is difficult, but $100 in the mall when you're looking at those shoes, not so difficult. And then let's even take it further. When we start thinking about benchmarks, people are like, well, 10%, 10%. But then like, we can get all in a tiff when we think about the benchmark when it comes to tipping or the other things that we do. 10% is not law. It's a guide. It's a principle. It's all about the conversation in your heart with Jesus. But percentage giving is important because if it's not percentage, then we can get ourselves into the law. Well, I gave this. I'm good. That's my standard. No. Percentage giving is about grace in the heart. It protects, it leans in. Honor God first with your wealth, the first fruits. And so we give a good example by saying first fruits is a benchmark like 10%. And then wisdom says you build wealth with other 10% that you have. And then you learn contentment with the 80% that you have. But why is it progressive? Friends, this is so good. 2 Corinthians 8, 7. I know you don't have this verse, Reese. If you could somehow throw it up real quick or if you could read it in your Bible. 8, 7. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in earnestness, in our love for you, look at this. See that you also excel in this act of grace. The church followers of Jesus ought to be excelling in generosity. Anytime there's a revival in the history of the church, what do you think is one of the top things that follows suit? Generosity. Over and over. Because it's a reflection of the heart of God. So here's how I want to end. Godliness plus contentment is great gain. Contentment is rest. And it's about the heart. 
we see in, in the scriptures that like God doesn't want you to give reluctantly. He doesn't want you to give under compulsion. Like you, you go, oh man, I have to give this offering now because he talked about it. That's under compulsion. Man, I really want to get this thing. I don't want to do it. No, that's being reluctant. God's like, I, he doesn't want us to do that. He loves a cheerful giver because it reflects our heart and, and that reflects how we see him. And this is why we give by faith. So even though I know we've been talking about money, I hope you, you see that it's, it's not that, it's deeper. So all I want us to do as we spend this time in closing is to, I want you to stand with me. And I want to show you the posture or the hand expression of generosity. You get this. In the church world, we'll say, God, here's my life. Right? And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. God, here's my bank account. Is that harder? God, here's my vocation. Here, here's... Here's it all. And it's not about the money. It's about the posture of generosity. It's not even about like us and what we have to do. It's a reflection of what he has done. He became poor so that we could become rich. So Jesus, I just ask that as we just come before you, that when we think about worship, we think about our life and, and we remember like this posture that we're symbolically showing here is what your posture is to us. If he didn't give us his son, would he not also give us all things? So Lord, I just pray that your spirit would do your work, navigate the deep parts of our hearts, navigate and stir up the idols and the ambitions and the treasures that are deep in there. Lord, forgive us for falling short and forgive us for deceiving ourselves into thinking we can serve two masters. Forgive us for not always honoring you with our first fruits. Forgive us for not giving an expression of our love and gratitude back to you, Lord. And I just pray that we would take this word seriously and that we would come to you and pray and interact with you and let you navigate our hearts and, and just speak to us and guide us and that we would have the faith to be obedient. God, I pray for us as a church that we would be a church of contentment, of rest and trust, which leads to so much freedom and joy and peace. It's what is truly life. So God, I just ask that you would do a work in our hearts in this moment. In Christ's name, amen.